Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SC Microphones. I am your host, John Fusick. Today we have singer-songwriter Colin Hay. He is known for his solo work and for being a member of the current incarnation of Ringo Starr's All-Star Band, but he is probably best known as a member of the band Men at Work who had hits like Who Can It Be Now? Land Down Under, and Overkill. Hay has released a new album, Now in the Evermore, and just came off the road from his solo tour in support of that recording. Colin will be at Providence Performing Arts Center with Ringo Starr on Sunday, June 12th. The Men at Work will be out touring this fall. up Sunday morning Salvation Army at my door Playing onward Christian soldiers Till I couldn't take it anymore I ran across the graves at night With those three witches at my tail I heard the wail of the now and the evermore All things are never equal And I don't know who is keeping score Nobody gets a sequel, no Everyone gets shown the door
Hey, how's it going? I rewatched your documentary last night, Waiting for My Real Life. Uh-huh. You've got quite the story. You know, you've had a couple of acts in your life. You did The Men at Work, and then that went away, and then it took a while for your, your solo career to kick in. Now you've got the thing with Ringo, that, and you've got this new album out, which is very good. I, I, I listened to it. It's good stuff. Well, I've just been doing this. I've been doing the same thing for, like, you know, 50 years, I just, I make records and I go out on the road. You know, it's taken a long time for, sometimes it takes a long time for, for people to pick up on what you're doing. I mean, I have a, I have a really great uh, following, you know, a, a great audience, which has been following me for many, many years, you know, and uh, you keep on releasing records and, and, and hope that you can, you know, garner an ever increasing audience, you know, um, but it's, it's quite difficult to get uh, to get albums uh, noticed these days but you just try and you try and make better records all the time and so I, I think that the now and the evermore is the, is the best thing that I've had to offer uh, to date um, I, I like the songs on it I like the way it really came I like the way it came together is the washroom studio your home studio yeah I saw a video of you and you mentioned something that you're recording and there's laundry hanging around and yeah it? I like this album it, there's a you have a line in it that that I liked it said no one gets a secret well, everyone has shown the door. That I think that kind of sums up your album, doesn't it? That line, because it's it seems like that's what your album is about. It seems like it's a kind of a, a reflection of life, isn't it? Well, it's a little bit like just you know make the make the most of make the most of what you have, time you have. I suppose it gets a little more it gets a little more precious as you get older. Now you're going to be turning sixty nine this year. Yeah, you having thoughts of of your mortality at this point or well i think i think you always do i think i i think i have for a long time i think <laughs> i've had thoughts about that ever since i realized that at some point this all ends you know but mm. uh, i think as you get older it just becomes a little more a little more obvious because you especially if you think about say if i think about the last i think about the last 20 years for example um i can remember the last 20 years really vividly and they seem to go by very very quickly so you know if i'm going to turn 69 i think well in 20 years i'll be you know I, I, I might on a good day i might have 20 more years of walking around so i better make the most of them there seems to be an allusion to like reincarnation seances prayer in this song as well it's like you know it's almost like conversation with the afterlife their connection to that was is that something i'm just imagining or yeah well i don't really i don't i mean i like to think i have a relatively open mind about about what uh, about what happens when you when you die but i don't really know you can only take a stab at it. you know i mean some people claim to know all the major religions seem to claim to know and uh people seem convinced or see it would seem that, that most people walking around seem seem convinced that there's some kind of afterlife but i'm not, I'm not so sure I mean, that's the thing is a lot of people are convinced they know the truth and i don't think anybody right. actually knows and yeah the problem the problem is that people are I, I, people get very upset with you if you don't follow their truth i'm not a big fan of all that stuff so um i see you work with chris trapp on occasion I, i've worked with him a yeah. couple of times and how did you hook up with chris well he hooked up with me really we were at a festival i think i can't remember which one it was i think it might have been it might have been the edmonton folk festival or something like that up in canada we were on the, at the same festival and he asked me if he could um if he could open up for me on some tours and so he did that and has continued to over the years you know so he's a he's a lovely guy and i, I love his songs and and i like having him i like working with him so yeah yeah, I, rec a... I recorded I recorded one of his songs on my record. Yeah, I noticed that, I, and I I'd seen him in the, that documentary yeah. as well. Yeah, he's a Massachusetts guy, and so I was fortunate to see Men at Work. 
back back in the early 80s. Oh, really? You must yeah. have been very young. No, I was, I was 20. The only time I had the opportunity to see you is when you opened for Fleetwood Mac. Oh, right. Yeah, that was the only time that you actually came around because by the time that happened and everything else happened, the minute work were done. And that's when it went into your, your solo work. And it seemed like from the documentary, it was a very tough transition. Well, you know, it depends on how you look at it, really. It, it, was, it was tough to a point. I mean, I had food to put on the table. I wasn't poor. I wasn't hungry. So, you know, I had all the basic necessities for life. <laughs> so it, it couldn't, have, it wasn't that bad. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, some people have a much bigger struggle than I, than I, than I did. But I think it was really just more, you know, I'd come from the heights of, of very, very formidable commercial success to, okay, now what? Um, and then I was living in the United States. I came over here in, I think, 1990 or something. And I've been here ever since. And um, it was just really a matter of starting again. So I, you know, I virtually emigrated. I mean, I came to, I came to the States from Australia. I left there. So I really left my life behind and started again. So I think there's always quite a lot of, um, you know, that's, that's in some ways that's not a particularly easy thing to do just to kind of start again and go somewhere else. But I liked it. I liked, for the most part, it was kind of, it was good, you know. I, I liked going on the road. I liked playing shows. I liked playing to people. I like I like the process of making records. I like writing them. I like recording them. The business of music, you know, I can take a leave. To be honest, well, you know, it's, I, it's I, tough. I've never. I've never really had a particularly a great uh, relationship with whatever you, whatever the powers that be, not even the powers that be, just just, just even just trying to negotiate the, the tricky waters of whether you're doing radio promotion or whether you're doing uh, anything to do with the actual business of music is um, is not particularly interesting to me. Well, it, it is, is a tough business because it's, you know, it's, it is all business and business as we know when we're seeing these days has no, no room for uh, emotion or common sense or compassion it's just all money and money ruins things and oh, it seems to be a, it seems to be an obstacle course yeah uh, music it, is it, art it's not it's not really it's not really there to to necessarily to, to foster creativity or, or or um artistic endeavor you know it's um but you know look i'm i i don't want to it's not i don't really i don't care you know it doesn't it doesn't i don't lose sleep over it you know <laughs> it's just it's just um it, it has its frustrations about how to actually you know you make a record and then the the trick is okay how do i make this how do i get this to people you know it's it's the, it's the age-old question of of how to um basically to to sell your product yeah i mean it's it's we're salesmen i mean we have to we have to hawk our CDs and try to get people so to I buy them and that. listen so I, to our music. I feel, I, I feel more affinity with, with traveling salesmen than I do with anything else, really. Well, I can understand. <laughs> it seems like, you know, it must have been a humbling experience when, um, I mean, especially after watching the documentary, it seemed like when you went to say, play solo at first, you were playing to empty rooms because nobody really knew who you were because Colin yeah. Hay wasn't a, wasn't a name. It was men at work, and people had to catch on that it was you. And then you had to re- you had to build up all over again. And you were mostly the songwriter for Men at Work too. And you've and you over the years developed your your style of performing solo. Even though you kind of you started it as a solo back in Australia, didn't you? In a duo or as a solo? Yes. So yeah, I started 
you know, when I was very young, I started doing that. So it was really, really my natural game. But one of the good things about going out on the road again after the band broke up and, and that, when I was on my own was that whatever I did achieve or whatever audiences that I did garner, they were all very, it was all very real. You know, it wasn't manufactured by any promotion or, you know, record company hype or radio promotion. It was all just word of mouth. And so when you build that kind of audience over a period of 20, 25, even 30 years those audiences stay with you and they tell other people and that's your that's your base of that's your that's your real fan base because even the people who bought the men at work records you know once that went away it was like this storm that came over and then disappeared you know they they're just you know getting about their lives and there's, there's something else to to purchase or to get interested in you know so the people who really came to see me play and 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 bought the cds or bought the albums or however they consume music or people who you know wanted something from me in, uh, and so those those people tend to stay with you for, for long periods of time you developed it into a one-man show a man at work where you told stories and and sang songs as well yeah well that was really more by circumstance rather than design because there was a lack of people coming to the shows i would just talk to people about because it was it had a, a lounge room kind of feel to it you know uh <laughs> So I just started to talk to people and tell people what had happened to me. And so as I did that, I noticed that people liked that, you know, they liked that familiarity, if you like. And, and what I realized was that, you know, what they really wanted was to find out things about themselves because that's why they were there. They weren't necessarily there just to hear songs. They were there for, I sensed anyway, something more, something more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it has kind of a, you know, it has a nourishing quality to it over the years of, of some kind of creative fulfillment for me because otherwise, you know, why do it? You know, you might as well stay home unless you're going to get something out of it. You know, right. as a you know, as a, you know, apart from you know making uh, making a living, you know, which is not to be sneezed at, of course. You know, right. I, it's um, it's it's good for that as well. You know, I, I do make a living from going out and playing live, and I'm you know grateful for that.
Now, you recorded an album that it was called I Don't Know What to Do With Myself, and it was covers. Delamitri, Glenn Campbell, Jerry and the Pacemakers, and a lot of those songs are songs that I love. How did you arrive at doing an album of covers? Well, it was a pandemic. I was sitting at home, and I'd already finished uh, Now and the Evermore, but the record label that I worked with in Nashville, uh, they didn't want to, well, we, we both decided we didn't really want to put it out uh, until I was going to be out, out on tour, so um, in, in support of it. So it meant I was sitting at home downstairs in the studio so I just um, I was reading about Jerry Marsden who passed away a few months before that I was mm. reading an article about him and I just recorded um, Don't Let the Sun Catch You Crying and sent it to my friend Chad Fisher who's a great friend of mine and he did some orchestration on it and said oh this sounds cool send me something else and so I just you know would think get up on a Tuesday or a Thursday and think of a song and then just record it and, and then send it to him and before after like a month we had an album i love your version of wichita lineman that's that's a great version thank you i love that too and i'm glad you enjoyed that because i um i love the song and if you're going to do that song you know you want to try and do it justice because it's one of the great ones right i've been trying to cover that song for a while and i just haven't found my my voice with that song it's i, I had a long chat with uh can't, I'm blanking on his name right now. Jimmy Webb. Jimmy Webb. I had a long chat with him one day, and you know we talked about that song. And I, that's one of my all-time favorite songs. And I've been looking for a version, and I came across yours a few months back when I was looking for a version to try and because there are like a million different versions of it floating around out there, and it's you know I'm just trying to find the right version that I want to cover. So, but yours is your, I like your version a lot. It's a really good version. It seems like you've got a little bit of a reggae base to that. Well, the, the old Men at Work stuff had a little bit of a reggae edge to a lot of the stuff or that and even your voice tends to take on a little bit of a reggae kind of feel sometimes don't do you find that yeah it wasn't necessarily a conscious thing really I, it's just i think that um you know bob marley and uh, a number of other uh reggae actually were, were very big in australia in the 70s and so you know i became aware of that music and jimmy cliff loved it but i wasn't you know i didn't go okay i'm gonna you know incorporate that it just you know i, I have a natural tendency to play on the offbeat you know mm. so that's how that happened i i've watched a lot of your videos it seems like your wife and your dog are in a lot of these videos these home videos well it's a pandemic also you know it's um it's um you know it's it's familiar ground it's familiar <laughs> They're my family. Yeah, you work you work very closely with your wife on your projects, don't you? Well, she's uh, she's a great um, she's a great songwriter and a great producer and a great singer and uh, has great instincts. So so yeah, um, I mean she leaves me alone when I'm making my records, but um, sometimes she comes downstairs because she can kind of hear what I'm doing through the through the floorboards and she'll say. Um, hey can you turn the mic on i got an idea and she'll just um, put something down that she thinks is interesting 
usually is. Now, on the cover of the Now and the Evermore, is that is that actually the street that you grew up on? But that, yeah, that's it, a very old picture of it, though. Yeah, in 1906. So that was taken about about 50 years before we lived there. Now, you, you went to Australia at age 14. Yeah. You had asthma? Is that what it meant? Is that what happened? Well, I did have asthma, but that, that wasn't the... You know that wasn't the main reason we went, but it was we went because my father and uh, got 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 sick of uh, Scotland, sick of the weather, and wanted a better life for um, for the family, like a lot of people did. P- people from Scotland and England and Ireland uh, emigrated to to the New World. Uh, a lot of Canada and uh, a lot of people went to Australia. They had a what they called an assisted passage back then. You know it was a it was a pretty racist kind of policy, but they would you know get people from uh, the UK and certain uh, certain parts of Europe. To, to come down to Australia to help with the uh, economic growth of the country that with their workforce and then they expanded that over the years to to southern Europe and the Balkans and then then the people if you were from Asia you could emigrate to Australia so it became a bit more open over over a period of time but that's how we got there and um, it only cost 10 pounds wow and uh, if you stayed if you stayed for two years and then decided to go back they would pay for your trip back but um, if you went back within two years you would have to pay for your trip to go back if they figured if people stayed for two years the chances are they were going to stay and they were they were correct because it was a a great place to live and and is a great place to live so how did you hook up with Ringo that that's that's the burning question is how I I watched the press conference of you and Ringo and such last week and the one question I was that nobody seemed to ask is how everybody came to hook up with Ringo is how Ringo chooses his bandmates and what what is the process and how he how he connects with people to, to do these shows well it used to be when he first got the idea um, he would just ask his friends and uh, the original bands were, were quite were, were kind of I think the original the original band we did over 30 years ago it was a bigger band you know I think uh, I can't remember who was in the first one but I think Joe Walsh and Dr. John and a whole lot of a whole lot of other people but I think there were lots of people on stage when he first did it and then he would just he would I think he used to go out every couple of years and every couple of years he would ask ask different musicians and he would do it with um in conjunction with um, his uh, his musical director and and also the whoever he was working with putting the tours together they would have lists of people that they would look at and 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 ask uh, and talk about and see whether or whether he would work or this person would work or that person would work and so he used to change the bands up quite often but in the last I, and I, I got asked in 2003 uh, first to, to tour, so that was, and you know, you just, I'm not quite sure how he found out about me, I'm not, but I got the call, said yes, and uh, I've done, I think, three or four tours since then. I haven't done them all, obviously. So how is this, um, this has this uh, expanded your, your solo career by playing with the Ringo Band? Has it opened people up to, to your music again? Oh, I'm not sure. I, I don't know whether it would have really that much crossover, really. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I, I haven't really, you know, looked into that really. But it, it all, I think it all helps if you're out there playing and people see you and they go, oh, there's that guy, you know. A lot of people come to see me play solo. A lot of people come to see me play if I'm playing with men at work for, for that reason. And I think a lot of people come to see the Ringo show because they're going to see Ringo primarily and uh, they're huge Beatles fans and huge Ringo fans and they get these other songs as well they probably look at who else is on the bill with Ringo and they go oh, yeah that guy's okay he's okay and they get to hear <laughs> they get to hear uh, you know a, a show full of hits so that's that's why they come I think 
So what songs do you play with the Ringo Band? Well, you all you do hits. It's, it's only hits, you know. So I'm do I do Overkill and I do I do uh, Down Under. Who can it be now? And Overkill. Overkill's a great song. Yeah, but yeah, everyone does their hits. Steve Lukather does Toto songs, and uh, Edgar Winter does his his hits. Frankenstein and Free Ride, and and uh, Hamish Stewart, who's an average white band, does we do pick up the pieces of work to do and and cut the cake. And uh, it's you know people every, every song people you know pretty much people know so yeah i didn't realize i just i just realized that uh when i was looking at your website that men well you still go out with a band called men at work it's not really the same members but you go out with a band no. called men at work yeah it's me it's me and my band right uh, the same band i have when i go out under my name except that when i go out as men at work i just play a men at work set now do you ever reunite with any of the the past members i know um i know that greg passed away a few years back do you ever no, greg the the only is really the only person that I was interested in in, uh, in playing with and so and and vice versa I think I was the only person that he was he was interested in playing with as well so so we did a we did tours from '96 until 2002 and then we stopped and uh, and uh, sadly passed away in 2012 I think it was which is horrible yeah I, when I was watching your biography and it seemed to allude to the fact that the Kookaburra song kind of took its toll on him and your father that whole the legal issue over that do you really think that that had a was part of the downfall of both of them well i don't know about my father uh, you know my my father was i don't know my, my, my you know my father had a stroke uh, oh. i know that he, he got very upset about the about the court case um but greg yeah greg was traumatized by it and by the fact that he thought that people would only remembering for that i mean it's sad because i mean it, it whenever i see those kind of cases come up i they seem petty in a way because they're such you know they seem like they're grasping at straws and they cause a lot of trouble in there and if you look at the songs they're totally different and it and it, you know it's there's always going to be a little bit of crossover in music because it's just the nature of the beast there's only so many notes to go around it's, well they had they they just they saw an opportunity and the opportunity was real and you know because they're you we never disputed the fact that there were in fact two bars of kookaburra sits in the old gum tree and down under which were which was a you know an unconscious appropriation at the time which people seem difficult to grasp but that's the that's the, the truth of it and so they just saw dollar signs and uh, they wanted 60 percent of down under which was quite ludicrous and so so if somebody makes those kinds of demands you have to you have to defend it but their argument in a lot of ways in retrospect was was you know i couldn't fault it i mean they just said look you took 25 percent of our song because Kookaburra is only four bars long and that's how that's what they stuck to and so the so the judge you know after the second day I knew that we were going to lose so so I just thought well it just depends on you know what he gives them and then the judge awarded them the least amount possible it seems like it cost, cost him more money to, to go into court than they actually got doesn't seem yeah, like but that's you that's usually the case the, 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 the litigation the court case itself was very expensive and they ended up getting um, rel relatively little mm. you know but it, it was a six years of, of i don't recommend it i don't recommend <laughs> no i don't recommend the litigation process to anyone you say you have to perform it's who you are and you love to connect with people so you don't really see any time where you're going to retire from music it's who you are no 
don't, I don't think I would retire. I mean, I, I can, I can see, I can see um, uh, touring in a in a more streamlined way, if you like. Um, maybe, you know, spending less time out on the road. You know, maybe making it, you know, shorter bursts. You know, doing, um, you know, going out for say, you know, going out for say two weeks and coming home, as opposed to going out for four weeks and coming home. You know, that where you can just kind of make it a little bit more pleasant, if you like. You know, because to be away from home for to be away from home for a couple of weeks is is um, you know it's it's okay but four weeks is a long time now is yeah. is ringo is 81 or 82 now and so is that an inspiration for you to keep going to see him out there doing it at that age well he's a very inspiring guy in many ways you know he's done so much you know he was in the greatest band in the world and he's almost 82 and he's he's kind of basically like a youngster in many ways you know he's great to hang with he's a really good guy it must be it must be an honor to, to hang out with somebody like that and to have him record i mean he recorded on your your album too yeah that was a great highlight for me one of the things i noticed about when i was watching because i mean I, like i said i'm a performer i do a, i do this stuff myself I've, I've i do the one i'm a solo performer for the most part and i watch your, your you know you have this great banter with the crowd and your stories and then you go into the songs it's you really do carry a full show a, a full entertaining show i mean it's both the stories and and the songs that get you through it and the, and they're both equally as entertaining and enjoyable and i think if more people knew about what you were doing you it, it would it would be a good thing because i mean most people will always just associate you with who can it be now and land down under when everything else you've done is like you know your solo performances are so powerful and the stories are comical and got a lot of great stories and you continue to to acquire new stories to tell which is interesting and you you put together this really enjoyable show yeah well that's the question isn't it i mean you know when you say more people should know that's the whole that's 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 the issue really is is um is how you actually how you do that you know so all all i really do is is uh, i do what i can do you know you can't you can't force the issue you know what i mean right well how um i wouldn't know what else to do to alert people to what I do as opposed to, you know, what I'm doing already. Do you have any more solo shows scheduled for the year? I see that you've got a Men at Work tour in the fall and Ringo goes pretty much through the summer. I have a solo tour in November of Australia. I don't have any any more solo touring until 2023 but i just did seven weeks um solo touring uh, just before i did the ringo thing which was the the greatest i think the best tour i've ever done so that was really that was really great i really enjoyed that well, i hope you come around here because i didn't see you, you a lot of people skip rhode island where are you rhode island yeah of, we didn't come to rhode island yeah time. a lot of people skip rhode island we kind of have to go yeah. to other states it's a, tough, uh, it's a tough it's a tough state to find good rooms in. i saw uh, somebody in your documentary mentioned that watching you is a master class on how to perform and i i really think that's true do you think well i'm not going to say that you know i uh, it is, that's not that's not for me to say <laughs> well I, I think it is because i think the way you perform as a solo is what is the 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 optimal way of performing as a solo performer because you've got like i said you've got the you know you've got the banter you've got the great music you you play very well you you have a very very distinctive voice your, your voice is is your power besides your songs your voice is your power because you have a great voice and it all it's this it's this wonderful package that you present yeah well it's working for me you know, I, uh, no, I, I, I try and get better all the time. So that's all you can do is just try and 
hone it and try and say more with less and try and get um try and get you know more interesting as you go along that's i guess it's that's what i what i try and do to keep myself keep myself interested well you've you've recorded an audio book of Aesop's fables you've you were in a disney you were a voice in a disney movie anything else like that on the horizon for you no not that i know of no uh-huh. no i'm just do, i'm just doing this i'm just you know it's enough right now you know doing this ringo tour and uh, doing a men at work tour and doing the solo stuff is that's that's enough for for me for the moment. I got no I got no real need to do anything else right now. I'm <laughs> quite happy to walk the dog to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. What's your dog's name? Rico. Rico. How old is he? He's ten almost. Oh, I had a lot of dogs over my life. Yeah, really. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to uh, leave us with before I wrap this up? If you got enough, I'm happy. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and talking to me. I know you've got a busy schedule, and I know you're probably tired from all the touring, but I do appreciate the time to talk to you, and it's been an honor speaking with you. I like what you're doing, and I hope you keep it up for a long period of time to come. Very much. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you very much. Okay. All right. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. you
Okie dokie. Thanks to Colin Hay for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. Hay will be at Providence Performing Arts Center as part of Ringo Starr's All-Star Band on Sunday, June 12th. The Men at Work will be out touring this fall. Check out Colin's newest recording, Now in the Evermore. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Grace Ale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. Thanks for listening. Thank you.